finding clubs that have never used tee times being pushed either because of community guidelines or because of their own cautionary steps trying to manage this increased demand. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. Henry Delosier is considered one of the leading authorities on golf course asset development and financing. Henry is recognized within the golf industry for his uncommon understanding of golf and residential properties. He's also known as a no-nonsense profit producer, an innovative marketer, and an advocate of exceptional customer service. And today, he hosts a roundtable discussion on trends and pandemic lessons within the private club industry. Today's session is a participatory session, so we hope that you'll come with some ideas um, for sharing. Um, all of you have been through some very difficult times the last, the last couple of years with your, um, um, with your clubs and what's been going on in our world, and you guys have done a fantastic job, so we congratulate you on that. But hopefully in this session, we'll talk about some of the things that uh, have gone right, have gone wrong, and what we learned from it. So I'm going to turn this session over to Henry, um, so he can um, he can walk us through just some thoughts that he put together of some questions to get the conversation going. So um, if you'd like to speak, go ahead and uh, just raise your hand and uh, turn your microphone off. Uh, on, I'm sorry, turn your microphone on and uh, come. Um, come on to the session and uh, share your thoughts. So thank you, thanks again for being here. Henry, without further ado, I will go ahead and introduce you and let you do um, your intro and I will bring up your PowerPoint. So um, don't forget to get your, your credits. I put the link in the chat session, um, to the link to go to to get your, um, your credits and I'll give the password out at the very end. So Henry, it's all yours. Thank you, Beth, and thanks everyone for participating. Um, as Beth mentioned, uh, the the goal of these roundtables is conversation. Uh, you know, in in every study we've seen, whether it's the national body, whether it's the chapters, what club managers are saying is that they they value um, networking. They value the opportunity to interact with one another. And that was the foundation of this idea for having some roundtable discussions. Uh, so uh, this is not a, a presentation from Henry. This is not a trends or best practices session. I'll certainly be happy to share with you things that I'm seeing in, in Florida and around the country. Um, and at the same time, you're going to find yourself with questions being posed to you in hopes that you will share with one another. Uh, I know a number of you on this call and have a depth of experience and perspective and and I hope we get a chance to share those things. So um, with with that said, Beth, let's go ahead and and jump into our first question. Um, we, you know, National Golf Foundation came out this week with a, a, an update. We lost part of April last year, some of March. Um, and, and still rounds were up 25, 35% uh, in different parts of the country and nationwide. Um, that surge has continued this year through the first three, four months of 2021, continued 
uh, it increases as, as mentioned, uh, partly due to the fact that some uh, clubs were closed in early parts of 2020. Um, so there's this tremendous surge. And the, you know, the question is, how do you see that impacting your clubs? Is it gonna continue? Do you believe that the surge is, is passing, that the wave has crested and you're going to start migrating backwards to normal usage patterns? What are your thoughts? Okay, this is, this is your time to share. I'm, I'm being asked that question a lot. So to give you all a couple seconds to check, collect your own thoughts, I'm being asked that question a lot. And my answer at this point is, I believe it's too soon to know. Um, we're, we're seeing um, tremendous demand. We're finding clubs that have never used tee times being pushed either because of community guidelines or because of their own uh, cautionary steps trying to manage this uh, increased demand for um, uh, golf tee times. But my answer when people ask me this question is that it's too soon to know that it's something that we have to monitor and watch. I think there are indicators for those of you who are using any sort of a, an online reservation system, you can start to compare metrics and see what your trend line is showing because that's where it will show first is in reservations. It will also show, um, if you look at the NGF data, uh, whole, wholesale orders for golf equipment continue strong. There's been no abatement in that. So a lot of the people who are providing supplies to golfers are betting that it's going to continue. Uh, I'm interested in your points of view. Anybody have a, a, a thought on that as it relates to your club and your perspective? Henry, good morning. This is Michael. Um, hey, Michael. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks for uh, having us. Looking forward to it today. Um, the one th thing I think, Pat, trend we saw is is people that you know may have only played once a week, you know, with COVID, the outdoor experience, they're playing three and four times a week. I think so. I think that trend will com continue. So we're seeing uh, about 20% increase in rounds from a year ago, and kind of in the same statistics as you indicated. But for us, I think those, I, I, I think they're just enjoying playing more because that there was far less activities available for them. So I don't see that going away. Um, Michael, at, at, at Harbor Ridge, are you seeing that on, um, are you seeing that on uh, the, your non-golf activities as well? Um, our, sir, you know, at, I, I think anything outdoor tennis, we, we haven't got pickleball here yet, but um, our, our outdoor dining, everything with activities just within the club itself, uh, absolutely. Are you seeing that with boating as well? Oh, the boating industry is, is, is booming. Yeah, the slip sales have really turned around, uh, you know, trying to, those interested in buying a boat, you know, they can't even find one at the moment. They're, they're on the wait list to get a boat. So uh, the, the water uh, front initiative and um, interest is certainly, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been dynamic for sure. Great. How about for others of you? Um, Michael, thanks for pitching in and getting everyone started. I, I'm happy to jump in, Henry. Hey, Steve. Good morning, everybody. And, and thank you all for having this. I think, like you said, the dialogue is incredibly important. For those of that you don't know, Williams Island, we don't have a golf course. Uh, we have a marina, we have a restaurant, we have a spa, 
we have tennis. And for us, the, the year over year and versus pre-pandemic sales were up tremendously. And the last three months we have seen uh, some people from the buildings. Uh, we have 2000 units on property. We have seen some migration north, um, but we have huge increases in food and beverage, huge increases in tennis, um, huge increases in spa treatments. Uh, people are working out feverishly and they're pampering themselves. And it's been uh, a blessing. Uh, month over month from last month to this month, we're down about 10% in, uh, in the spa. And that's the only revenue area that is showing some weakness. And then for those of you that are in communities that track uh, real estate transactions, we, we in, out of the 2000 units that we have, we normally do between 55 to 60 transactions a year. Um, we've already met and exceeded that in the first four months of the year, we're at over 70 transactions. And so in South Florida, where there was a real estate glut, you know, we had over 220 units on property available eight months ago. We now have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 140 units available. So we're seeing, you know, compression, people staying and people using the facilities even more. And I think that's because we focused on experiences and safety, obviously, with an older clientele. Very insightful. And of course, you, you know, all of you in Florida are beneficiaries of the tax migration. The folks at Bloomberg Analytics have done some great work on how many people are, are migrating from high state income states to Florida. And so I, I believe you're going to continue to see that. For any of you who need data on that point, as I mentioned, Bloomberg Analytics is the best I have seen. And um, if, if you don't have access to that, let me know. I'll be happy to share with you some of the charts that, that we're looking at. But Florida, Tennessee, Texas, all growing significantly while people are migrating out of essentially the states between Washington, D.C. and Boston, and then over into the Midwest, uh, let's just say from Cleveland West to the Twin Cities. So uh, a lot of folks looking for a, a tax home and that's going to have some ripple effects into the club industry. One is you'll have more people who are, uh, whose seasonal relationship with you is shorter because they're claiming non-resident status in those states where they've been paying high taxes and they're claiming full-time residency in Florida. And, and that will ripple through the club industry. Uh, for our friends up North, it means they're gonna have a lot more people wanting to go non-resident. It means a lot of you are going to have, as Steve and Michael pointed out, expanded demand on your programs and facilities. Any, any others of you see it? either differently or have other examples you can share. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, just a question, do they, they, how long do they expect the window to, to remain open for the, the migration to continue? And we're seeing it as well. We've had the highest number of real estate sales than we've ever had in the history. In the boom, we had 76, we're at 90 with a few months to go. So, but is it, is it a year, is it more than that? It, first of all, probably the practical answer will be it will continue until those states with high state income taxes change their taxing structure. You know, the, the fact of the matter is those states still have to generate the same sort of revenues in order to provide all the state services. So they're going to have to find ways to transfer 
things off of income and transfer them into property ownership or other categories where they can make up that difference. In, in the state of Florida, I can tell you that um, all of the publicly traded home builders and developers are scrambling to try to find land and, and opportunities for development in the state of Florida, especially along the coasts and in the greater Orlando market area. So you, there, in my books, there's no likelihood that you're going to see a slowdown in growth in Florida. And, uh, and furthermore, you're going to start to see some infilling where, uh, you know, like the company I used to work for would look and say, if it's less than 400 units, we're not interested. And, and now they're looking at 60 and 80 unit projects, little small fill-in places where they can maintain revenue growth in their own categories. Uh, you know, a publicly traded companies always under pressure to grow revenue. This is this is Ken Green. I, I would I would echo your thoughts that that this migration is not it's not a flash in the pan. If you if you look at it, at least in our our market in in Palm Beach, um, pe people follow the business, and it's with you know as much as you know the related group might be quote unquote sucking wind in Hudson Yards in New York City. They bought up all of the Class A office uh, space in West Palm Beach and are building more and more and more. Why? Because you know all the financial services firms, hedge funds, private equity, banking, so forth, are taking a footprint. They may not be relocating corporately 100% yet, but they're putting their toes in the water in South Florida uh, commercial real estate for offices, and that's not for their people to work when they're on vacation in Florida, that's for people to relocate. And so people follow the business. And so at least a three to five year, you know, kind of projecting out. And as things continue to grow, um, you know, real estate will continue to be hot. People come down and, you know, spend, you know, 20, 30, 50, $100 million for a residence. They want all the bells and whistles that go with that lifestyle, which includes membership at clubs and, and on and on and on. So it's, it's not going away anytime, you know, in the immediate future. You bet. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on, Ken. I'm, I cite um, the company um, called Alliance Bernstein. Any of you guys may have money invested with them, uh, a Wall Street firm right, right downtown in the financial district relocated their offices to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I guess that was last year or so. Uh, you know, do you think all those guys suddenly decided that they like country music? Or do you think they like the idea that their corporate headquarters were in a state with no state income tax where they could all came, claim that to be a primary residence and stay in their same apartments in Manhattan the rest of the year? I think we're going to see more and more of that. One of the derivatives of pandemic, this pandemic has been what we've all discovered, which was you don't exactly have to be at work to do the work. And, you know, for those of us who come up in the club business, you kind of got to be where you provide those services. But so many uh, knowledge workers can be wherever they wish to be. And that's going to be one of the big changes in America. Morning, Henry. I'd like to ask a question. Okay. I'm sorry, Ben. Yes. Nope, go ahead, David. Yeah, not, not so much a question, but I, agreeing with uh, what's been saying. And another metric to consider is retirement of the baby boomers. They, they got pushed down the road back in 2010. And then think with the pandemic, 
a lot of people were holding on because income was good and the pandemic changed the uh, the mentality said maybe it's not as safe to be at work so we saw a bunch of flash retirement happening the market stayed really really strong and I think I think that's been really good for South Florida and it the baby boomers should continue retiring probably for the next five to seven years right um, by the way there's a, a demographer by the name of uh, Fry uh, F-R-E-Y with the Brookings, Brookings Institution. For all of you who want to kind of be preparing and looking down the road in your five-year plans, um, the demographic work that he's doing at Brookings is kind of forward-looking and has proven to be very reliable. So that may be a reference point that you want to tap into. Um, uh, like I say, for doing your own uh, diligence in, in preparing for your clubs. I feel like I cut someone short. I didn't mean to speak over someone. Um, uh, well, we, we've kind of jumped from the surge, which I think it sounds to me as though we're all trying to find um, answers and, and, and more importantly, data that help us to support our understanding of what's happening around us. Clearly the Florida real estate market is white hot and all of the people that I believe know what they're talking about uh, are, are people who are saying that certain of these states like Florida are going to continue to grow and prosper. That's going to put more and more pressure on uh, public services. That's going to make uh, destinations that are safe havens like your clubs even more attractive to people. So you should expect a good run in your clubs. And frankly, if you're not seeing pretty significant pent up demand, you need to be taking a look at the club and asking yourself, what is it that's not working for our brand or our, how we're projecting our brand out to the buyer audience? Um, for those of you who haven't freshened your relationships with the realtors who are active in your market area, that would certainly be something that would be wise for you to do. So something to think about there. Uh, Beth, I'm kind of watching the time and I want to be sure we get a chance to cover our topic. So. Uh, you know, I was talking about strategy and, and, and some of the changes that are coming on. What kind of changes are you intending to make as a result of the new demand, the growth in um, usage of your facilities? Tell me how you're changing things. Um, the, most common, the most common changes we're seeing, uh, you know, nationwide is expanded hours of operations, uh, changes in the way Food, food in particular is being prepared and presented. You know, the, for the most part, finding labor is the, is the greatest pressure point right now in clubs and in the hospitality industry. And let's face it, in, in some cases now that travel is starting to swing back into full swing, um, our competitors in the hospitality and lodging industries are going to be out competing the club industry in many cases for compensation and benefits. So that's going to make it tougher for us to get access to workers. Are, are many of you finding those that, that limitation on labor to be a problem and how are you responding to it? Nobody having labor issues? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> um, we, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay, good morning, it's Helen. We hey, instituted, um, we upped our referral fee for employees and possibly considering, we normally do a referral fee after 90 days and possibly instituting one after six months if the same person stays. 
Wow. And Helen, what is the referral fee you're paying, if you don't mind sharing? $250. Um, I was in Naples a couple of weeks ago and drove past an IHOP, the pancake joint, uh, and where they normally on the sign out front have a sign that says, you know, kids eat free or blueberry pancakes, all you can eat or something like that. The sign instead said $750 signing bonus. Wow. Yeah, to work at IHOP. So that gives you a sense of the level of desperation that, that is happening around you. I believe that we're going to continue to feel that desperation for some time. Yeah, restaurants, I live in Broward County and some of them have changed their hours of operation or closed for a day because they just can't have, especially the ones that are smaller and it's like a husband and wife arrangement. But, um, you know, we obviously, um, most of the people who work in restaurants don't have the option for, you know, benefits. So that's definitely a a plus that we try to also push through. Right. Um, Average hour escalating, uh, average hourly wage is escalating and I believe will hold, that escalation will hold because we're going to find that if we don't continue to pay competitive wages, we won't be able to keep people or recruit people and that that becomes an issue. I believe, I've said this before and I'm gonna say it again for the point of emphasis. I don't think we'll ever look back and see that club managers stood taller than they did in 2020 as a group, as a uniform body of professionals, club managers demonstrated themselves in 2020 to be resilient beyond measure, um, resourceful, innovative. Those are all characteristics that are gonna continue to be demanded of you. Uh, you know, we, we would had so many clubs that at this time last year were upside down on their budgets by a million dollars and more. Uh, clubs that had missed their spring weddings or mitzvahs or private parties or events um, with, with no clear solution in sight at this point. And then, uh, you know, as, as you started to get your feet under, under you and started finding solutions, um, who would have ever imagined there would be so much success in takeout food from clubs? Um, darndest thing I would have ever seen. And um, in most cases, uh, clubs made up that ground that they had lost and then some. Uh, so, you know, one of the takeaways in my books from 2020 is to look and say, what did you learn from your takeaway option and how can you continue to carry that forward into the future? The example I most like to provide as a consideration is Sunday afternoon picnics. You know, you any of you who are golfers know of the great old course at St. Andrews in Scotland. And on Sunday afternoon, that great old golf course is closed. It's the public park for the townspeople of St. Andrews. And they're out there with their picnic campers and blankets and soccer balls and it's family time. And while I'm not suggesting that you should close your golf course or your club on Sunday afternoon, there may be an opportunity for you to introduce Sunday afternoon picnics or picnics on any other afternoon for that matter. You've got the weather and you've got plenty of time flexibility, but that becomes a, an opportunity for your culinarians to prepare the picnics to order, you know, ordered in advance rather, so that um, you can manage the workflow. And at the same time, people can come socialize, 
eat, have an, a pleasant memory making afternoon at the club. And that may be a, a real benefit to you without having to pay a lot of service people in the process. So it may just be an option for you to consider as you, as you move forward. But I suspect you'll all come up with better ideas than that one for finding ways that you engage your members, give them an opportunity to socialize. They're obviously wanting to eat. Who doesn't? And, and so I think that may be a, a matter for you to consider. David, did you have something to add? Yeah, I think we, uh, we approached it similarly with increasing the, uh, the, the bounty bonus. Um, we went from 250 to 500 and then, and then put in place a, a second measure. So first is 30 days and then the, the second one is after 90 days. Um, really not helping dramatically at all. I, I think we're all kind of on hold until the uh, financial incentives from the government abate. And then when that happens, does the market get flooded? And then have we put ourselves in a position where we've sort of created the heightened minimum wage out of circumstance. There is that, there is that inflationary risk as it relates to compensation, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and that really comes down in my books to being able to evaluate your, your operational teams and look at them in the context of which ones do you intend to keep over the long haul. I think by this time last year, most everyone was starting to make that, uh, make some of those judgments already. But uh, are there other tactics that any of you intend to use as far as recruiting short-term and, and then deciding what you're going to do long-term. Henry, I, I think the nail on the head, it needs to be looked at in terms of a short-term and long-term approach because there's, there's, there's two parts to this equation. There's recruitment and then there's retention. Um, clearly there are challenges for some on the recruitment side. There are other challenges on the retention side. And so one of we just recently implemented was adding a uh, another, you know, a, a one week, an added one week vacation for all full-time eligible employees, hourly, salaried, exempt, whatever the case may be. If you've been with the club for six months, we what we did was because it's the opposite season of the Northern clubs, the summer is the slower time for us. So we called it a, a summer bonus vacation. So you have to use it within this prescribed period a regular vacation, you carry it forward to next year. It's kind of a use it or lose it scenario. But when we had long tenured staff finding themselves capped out at four weeks, we closed for a multitude of weeks during the summer for project-based related things. It's a benefit to the, to the staff members. Clearly they're here. And even if there are other opportunities that get presented in terms of maybe, you know, an additional dollar here or there at another club, it provides that level of retention. Um, we're also looking at, and I think we should all look at enhancing our 401k matching programs uh, for our staff members as well. These are the things that are not immediately, you know, long, immediate short-term out-of-pocket expenses, but they have stickiness as it relates to the long-term. Really good point. I jump uh, in. Thanks, Ken. Uh, uh, was someone wanting to speak? Yeah. I can I, it's Steve. Can sure, I Steve. Um, Ken, I want to thank you for that. I mean, you added something that was missing from my my personal strategic plan. So we, along with the theme of the short term, long term, short term, we were concerned about just, you know, a hiring frenzy. 
and how that would affect our culture. So we made the decision and we communicated with our team that there would be a period of overtime um, and that if they had people with great attitude, you know, great, you know, ability to contribute, we'd be happy to have them on, but we're not just, you know, after, after bodies. I love the idea of rewarding people that have stayed with us for, with some extra paid time off. I think that, that really completes the, the loyalty cycle, the benefit cycle and so on and so forth. So I appreciate that, that particular idea. The, the, the department that we've had the greatest challenge in, um, ironically, is security. And uh, we haven't changed our signing bonus. We haven't changed our rates and this and that and the other because we think that's all short-term pressure. And once you increase the rate in one place, you know the domo domino effect, the repercussions throughout the organization are long-lasting. And uh, one of the things that we did this year is we had no dues increase to the residents because of the performance of the directors and the team. And so what we're seeing right now is the cost of overtime is the less of new is less than new recruitment, and our employees are even more loyal and appreciative. The hardest thing, though, is continuing to communicate to them, "Hey, save your money. This isn't going to last forever," kind of thing. You know. Um, so that's that's what I wanted to add. Thank you. Thanks for adding that, Steve. And I noticed that in the chat that uh, Kevin Carroll had had volunteered that dues are going to rise beyond inflation. And uh, Kevin, uh, I'm not sure if you want to add anything to that. Uh, really good insight. Yeah, Henry, I, I, I think members are going to understand that this labor shortage is not just in clubs. It's, it's every industry and all of our members' businesses are certainly going to be affected by it. So this isn't anything that they are not, uh, won't become used to. And I believe they're going to know that the cost of doing business is going to go up and they are the owners of the business. So they will have to contribute more to make sure, uh, you know, we simply don't have the option of closing dining rooms. Um, you know, can you imagine finishing a round of golf or tennis or whatever and want to stop in for a club sandwich and, and have a closed sign on the door to the grill room? That's, that's not going to happen. Members are going to demand that, you know, we have staff no matter what it takes. And sure. in our board, I mean, we've discussed this and, we're highly seasonal. So we're, we actually close next week for five months and we don't know what will happen over the course of the next five months. And some of our staff who've been loyal over the years may get a summer job and then be enticed to stay through the next season. Um, but our members are, have already been put on notice or our board has been put on notice that we will do what we have to do. Uh, we've increased our wages as our, as our staff are leaving for the season. We're already telling them what their wage will be for next year. We pay a Christmas bonus. We pay an Easter bonus. We pay an end of season bonus. Uh, we are doing referral fees, which will be something new for us. So we're doing all those things. But again, if we've got to raise, raise the wages at the beginning of the season or the middle of the season or whatever it is, we will certainly do it. Understood. Uh, pretty practical and pragmatic there. Um, you know, one thing, uh, Steve, your mention of, of um, needing security, one source that I have seen that's proving fairly good in, in, in certain skilled or trained categories is folks who are mustering out of military service. You know, the, the military overall is downsizing substantially. So there are a lot of people who have uh, who have certain skill sets that might be worthy of your consideration. So that may be one option for you in that regard. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great thought. I appreciate that, Henry. I think we're seeing not only are we in competition with the other security companies, we're in competition with local law enforcement as well. You bet. You bet. So it's, it's an interesting challenge, but thank you. Yep, these are peculiar times all the way around. Um, Beth, why don't we jump ahead to our next, next topic um, on, on uh, number three, uh, talking some about governance. Um, what, what kind of demands are you seeing being placed on you and your and your board president or other key leaders in, in terms of governance? Um, and again, to give you a couple seconds to think, one of the things that I'm seeing on a regular basis is more rules enforcement pressure on boards and board leaders. Uh, you know, it, it, folks are acting out their frustrations with the limitations on their mobility, limitations on services, and some of those frustrations are acting out in terms of poor behavior in, in the club. Um, are many of you having that experience at your clubs? And if so, what, what can you how can you describe them? Everybody's doing great. <laughs> I was at a club the other day where um, a, a member who was frustrated with certain rules at the club actually uh, was uh, confronted the board president in the golf shop. And when, the, when they each had said what they had to say and the board president said, gee, I'm sorry, I think we better just agree to disagree. And, and the member could not accept that. Uh, and the board president was then just trying to kind of separate from this member and the member would not allow him to do so, kept positioning his body where the board president could not leave. And, and then the next step was the, the frustrated member chest bumping the president until the professional staff could step in and say, hey, look, you know, you pointed to the president and said, why don't you go out the back door and, and pointed to the frustrated member, you just need to cool off for a few minutes. But um, that's the worst one I've run across, um, of course, resulting in a suspension of the member for a period of time. Uh, others of you seeing any of those kinds of things? The, the more common rules issues that we're running into are dress code, uh, guest policy, uh, access. Some people who uh, are finding limited services to frustrating to them who want to bypass the hostess or bypass the golf staff or the tennis staff and simply take, take control of a table or a court or a tea time, which was not theirs and working on the theory that now I have it, you have to make me give it back. And uh, again, those, those poor behaviors, those are the ones that I guess I would categorize. Are any of you having that same experience? Henry, I would, I would suggest that, you know, this, this topic was relative, you know, May, June, July, August of last year. I'm sure that we all experienced bad behavior and rule breakers and things don't apply to us as far as masks, temperature checks, and this and that and the other. And, you know, I, I wrote more suspension and violation letters this year than any of the other five years that I've been here, you know, but most of the times I'm fortunate to have a strong president, we, we would sit down with these people and intervene. And, you know, fortunately, the majority of these were resident to resident. Very few were resident to staff or resident to board, you know, and so, you know, from that, that perspective, you know, you just, you just manage it, right? But as far as being the board president, um, 
again, I was very lucky. I have somebody that, that is a good partner. Um, some of the rest of the board were non-existent. They just, they just kind of went away and said, you guys handle it. <laughs> um, and at, as you know, because you were here and thankfully and appreciatively, you, you managed a, a workshop between our board members and our building presidents you know, it, it, everybody wanted to go in a completely different direction. So if you didn't have a strong partner and it was left to you to just make all the operational decisions, you're exposed. But if you have the right mixture of governance and operations, you know, I think it was easy and communication was the biggest premium, you know, because you have the state and the county and the city all different things about these emergency orders. So for us, I mean, we probably sent out and, and made more videos and made more YouTube stuff than, ever, than any other time before. And it's affected the way that we communicate going forward. And I know that all the people on here do a great job, you know, with social media and communication. But in this last year, there was no such thing as over communicating anything. <laughs> that's for sure. Usually that's the case. Beth, were you gonna add something there? Tom Jordan has his hand up. He'd like to say something. Oh, thanks, Tom. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, to the, the point uh, of uh, topic three, um, right after COVID, or just before COVID hit the fan, I had a, a first-year president, first-year treasurer, first-year finance chair, and a first-year executive vice president. Wow. And in late February, early March, uh, they were they were new to their positions. They really didn't understand what they where the where the lines are drawn between managers running the day to day operation and the board members um, supposedly uh, observing from thirty thousand feet. And in our early meetings through March, the uh, executive committee, which as I said, were all pretty much brand new board members and and hadn't had much time working with me. Um, their predictions and their fears of uh, doom and gloom uh, financially and cash-wise uh, on the, uh, outside of the accrual basis, um, they had terrible uh, nightmares. Uh, and we had way too many meetings over um, how the budget can be managed through the pandemic or through the downturn. And it got to the point where I, I had submitted seven different budgets after the original, and I never change a budget. I, I, I set a budget, we go through the fiscal year and we just uh, asterisk uh, where the budget is off. But I had to write seven different scenarios uh, after every financial, just to try and convince them that we're not, we're not dying here, actually. They, they had it at one point, the uh, finance chair told the executive committee that we're probably going to lose $600,000 in operations this year. And as every month unfolded, when the financial statements came out, um, there were huge positive variances. Uh, and I just, over the past 15 months, um, we have a net, uh, net income of $434,000 through the pandemic. So it took my president, the point I'm trying to make is the president who didn't have a whole lot of experience working with me, um, it took him a good six months to get comfortable with, oh, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's correct with what he's saying and the numbers are working out. 
and we, quite honestly, we had our, our best year financially and uh, we gained more members than we've ever gained. And we're, for the first time in, in 50 years, the club has a waiting list uh, for members. So it took the board president and his executive team a good six months to get used to the fact that that I and my team know exactly what we're doing. We're, we were dealt a lousy hand, but we, we knew what we were doing to get through it and we can carry them through. And where I didn't get warm and fuzzies uh, for the first month after the president became president, we're now best of friends. And um, he understands he's a 30,000 uh, feet high guy. And me and my team are the, um, the people that are gonna drive the train. That's great, what a great, what a great um, example that is. Uh, I've seen that in, in, in a lot of clubs. In, in fact, I've seen a few board presidents who have crumbled under the pressure of this coronavirus pandemic. Um, I have not seen any club managers crumble. I have seen some who prospered even more so than, than others, but I've seen everyone step up to the line. Every, every club manager with whom I've been acquainted has shouldered this burden in the best of fashion and, and brought their staff along with them. And like I said, I, I think we'll look back on 2020 and say that was a great year for club managers. Um, I'm, I'm mindful uh, and, and, and that the sun does not shine on the same dog's back every day. And I believe that we're going to see um, market changes. And, and that, that goes to the, the next topic that I wanted to put out in front of everyone uh, around the idea of technological change, you know, the, the pandemic brought on the need for certain new technologies and new capabilities. Um, what kind of changes are you making in your club as a result of the pandemic and what are your hopes or expectations from it? Any, anybody want to be the first to speak to that? David has raised. Yeah, hey Henry, we, uh, we actually, the pandemic was a, a kind of a great opportunity for us in a number of different ways. One of them being technology. We uh, got out ahead probably in, in April or so last year and installed a, a Zoom room for about $6,500. And uh, we started performing governance and strategic planning throughout the pandemic, uh, disseminating the different laws that we were digesting and understanding the impact that they had for the club. And now we're sort of coming out of it, still hosting our... Uh, monthly meetings on Zoom, and we've gone from an average of maybe 15 or so participants in the audience to 45, 50 participants remotely, and it's giving us a, a big opportunity to sort of communicate faster and, and to a wider a wider uh, group, and it's helping us to, to get things done quicker. Uh, we also, to sort of continue services, we, we started Zooming fitness classes. We took advantage of the, uh, the pandemic and, and did a $15 million renovation that we had already sort of planned for, but pulled the trigger maybe a little bit early during the, during the issues. And now the, uh, the fitness studios are being armed with uh, Zoom capabilities. So people, whether they're out on a cruise somewhere or in Europe traveling, they, they can still participate in group fitness here at the club as a benefit. That's a great idea. And, uh, and have, have you found that um, you've gotten good participation or is it somewhat spotty? No, it's consistent. It's consistent. We uh, probably had 20 or so people with Zoom Fitness in the height of it. And we probably still, even though this is a downtime in the season, we're seeing people in New Jersey who are in the classes and in New York. And it, 
it's become a benefit that people appreciate even from a seasonal, seasonal point of view. Excellent. Other technological solutions you've found that you intend to continue? Any of you? Um, one, one that I'm seeing that, that it seems to be persisting is the, the whole capability of geofencing the club, uh, being able to use um, uh, the club in a way that uh, you can that you can draw on and knowing where your members are and being able to see that the services that you that they that you know that they would want you can address because you know where they are uh, especially in this time when the, maybe we're short of staff in certain places any of you seeing that where geofencing is maybe a, an advantage to you David has his hand up okay sorry David didn't see it I, I think the hand was still up from before. Thanks, though. <laughs> oh, sorry. Steve, did you hear? Um, the, the, uh, my advice to everybody on this whole business of technology is the, the famous quote from, what was it, Winston Churchill? Never waste a good crisis. Um, this is a great time for you to take a look at your communications technology and your services technology because it, this may be a good time for you to be upgrading that because people are so eager for communications. Uh, you know, what, what we've been saying for several years, you know, is club communications are the thing I hear criticized most commonly when I'm visiting clubs for focus groups and so forth. The, the standard line is, you know, really love the club, but communications around here are terrible. But then I turn to the club manager or the board members and say, I'm being told in the focus group that communications are terrible. And they look at me as if to say, what the heck? You know, all we do all the time is communicate. But then you come to find out that that particular person who said that never opens his or her emails, never participates in any of the programs. So there's a need to keep making redundant and reiterative communications using multiple media to try to increase effectiveness. Um, 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 someone mentioned a moment ago the use of video and we certainly are seeing how much more participation and open rate there is with video than there is written word. So that may be something for you to be thinking about if you haven't started doing that already. Um, uh, the, the, most, the most frequent usage of video that we're seeing is what would have normally been in the, in the club newsletter, the letter from the president, the letter from the general manager, those things that can be made into a little 60, 90 second video are certainly things that are resonating and proving to be very effective and engaging for members. We have somebody with a hand, a hand raised. It's, uh, their code is TC. I'm not sure exactly who that uh, is. Yes, hello. My name is Fabio Vasconcelos and I'm the director of tennis at Harbor Ridge. And uh, what we did, yes, thank you. We worked with our communications department and we were able to produce some videos, uh, 60 second videos on tennis tips for all of our members for the time that the club was closed. So the members were very happy that they can, they could continue to receive information on, on tennis and, and to improve their games while the uh, pandemic was on. Oh, well done. That, that's, a, that's a nice one. I could use some tennis tips, Fabio. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, any other technological steps any of you are taking that you, you would like to share? David has his hand up. 
Yeah, great. another quick Zoom amenity. Uh, we, we partnered with several of our different beverage vendors and we're hosting educational series over Zoom. So people have the opportunity to buy the spirits in advance. We package them nicely with pairings and things and, and then we host a, a Zoom event. And that, that usually reaches 20 to 40 people, um, including folks who are out of town who can pick up the spirits locally. They, they appreciate the opportunity for the education. Sure, sure. People like to be stimulated intellectually. Uh, this business of lifelong learning seems to be resonating with people. You know, if you read any of the AARP studies or any of the prom promotions targeted to retired people, uh, without fail, it's made, keep your brain health, uh, keep, keep using your brain, keep exercising your brain. So those kinds of programs uh, are certainly resonating with, with people in the 55 plus category probably doesn't hurt the rest of us either, but uh, certainly resonating with that category. Um, Beth, I'm mindful of our time. I sure don't wanna overstay my welcome. I've been grateful to everyone for their participation. Before we wrap up, anybody have any questions you wanna throw out for us all to kick around or uh, that we should wrap up on? Well, again, I'm gonna thank you for participating. I know how busy everyone is. Um, I hope you get the, the full benefit of the, the education credits. You know, anybody has to sit here and listen to me for an hour, at least should get something out of it. So um, I hope that you stay well, that, that you and yours continue to prosper. So thanks for being here. Thank you, Henry. And thank you for everybody participating today. The uh, password for today is IDEA, I-D-E-A, IDEA. Um, thank you for being here. Um, we look forward to seeing you all. Don't forget that we do have summer conference. Actually, it's more fall conference in September coming up in Delray. Um, if you haven't signed up, please go ahead and do so. Rooms are going quickly. Um, people want to see each other. So um, again, thank you, Henry, so much for always being so generous with your time and your, um, your uh, suggestions and your counsel. So uh, we appreciate you very much, and everybody have a great day. Again, the password is IDEA. Have a good day. Goodbye, everyone.